What's up, folks? It's Jake here from the Ask River Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. If you want to come and be a part of the conversation, please do so. We'd love to have you. Hit us up at gmail at astrovertmedia at gmail.com and on Instagram at astrovert underscore media. We post clips and songs from each show as well as other news regarding our music and more important things like memes we enjoy. You can also find any of our covers posted on Patreon at Astrovert Podcast and our YouTube channel at Astrovert Media. New music will be up there soon. You can find any of the music on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you get your music as well. Now quiet down, Mike, so we can start the show. about this the other day because I, I shot a little promo video for um, for my school. Okay. And as we set up the shot, it was like the little rocking chair that I brought into the room where I like to sit and uh, talk to the children a little bit. And uh, then I was like, we should put a guitar next to it. And then I was like, how about a drum? <laughs> and then like like building, a, building your video yeah, set. Building a little set. Like a tableau. Yeah. And I said it's, it was like um, old-timey fancy portraits. They always have props mm-hmm. um, that kind of give you clues about what they did for a living or what they're interested in. So um, I'm not Native American, but I bought this. <laughs> That's a guitar because I play music. And that is one of my all-time favorite Jewish wisdom quotes. It says, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. Oh, that's really cool. That's I like that. It. Your phone for care vote. I do like that. Yeah, because um, you know I dream big, so I've got a lot of ish to do to get that. Uh, Absolutely, that stuff taken care of. You can't do it all, but you know you got to still plug away. Yeah. Absolutely, it's about the journey. Are we recording yet? We aren't. Are we're we about lies? to. Um, about I think. To. Yeah, we're recording on this side. Yeah, we we're recording we on the started podcast. On the right, the right. To... Yeah. Well, hold on. I like all this. This is nice. Yeah, this is beautiful. This is that. gold. Yeah. This is also a cheap. I mean, we you know, when they walk into Marion's studio and they just start talking and then they say, wait, are we recording? He goes, oh, yeah. That's how we do our yeah, episodes exactly. all the time. Fantastic. Yeah. It's in fact, especially with a lot of our because like when we started mm-hmm. doing the podcast, it was mm-hmm. the guests were our friends and not all of our friends were comfortable talking. So we would kind of trick them. We wouldn't even tell them that we were recording. Yeah. We just <laughs> we would just start going for it and they'll they're going for like 10 minutes and they're like, man, this was good. We should have recorded this. And I'm like, that's what's funny. We did. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right away, I got to say, you should always ask for permission if you're going to go at it for 10 minutes <laughs> and record. <laughs> um, but, you know, I hope everyone enjoyed the experience. Oh, yeah. It was a lively 10 minutes, right? <laughs> and you recorded it. Th- th- it can be edited out if it's really bad. Exactly. You know? <laughs> we, give everybody, yeah. we give everybody the option to edit out whatever they want. Yeah, if they exactly. Would like. 
So I want you to keep this all, and if necessary, add wacky sound effects. Boing! <laughs> there you go, Mike. No, that's perfect. All right. All right. So here's the thing. Should, because we're not concerned about the video, I don't think we should even click record. Because then, not... then there's no timer. Then there's just a hope. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then we don't have to even think about it. I mean, that's up to you. Yeah, so if you want to are do... you recording while not recording? Yeah, the entire yeah. computer is plugged into our podcast setup. So the only you know what reason we're on, oh, Yeah, the only reason we're on the computer is to connect with you. And it's it's doing nothing for the actual like recording part of it. Whoa. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's up to you. I mean, we could always record it, and then if we want to do video, we could do that. But it matters. I not. think there's a. I think you're both handsome, and it's really interesting the way you have your faces split side <laughs> to side. We got to show off our yeah. background where we, exactly. we look like we're woodworkers. Yeah, if you keep leaning, <laughs> you could just totally disappear <laughs> from frame. <Yeah. laughs> It's just talking to the Conversely, bench. if you want to show what good friends you are, attach your shoulders with a little bit of tape and make it a challenge. How long can you stay? I got some gaff tape back here. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, that's what happens once you put a camera in front of a couple of knuckleheads with a new wacky friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be clear, you did say something about interviewing friends. Um, I'm just going to insist that I'm your newest friend. Absolutely. Oh, that definitely... So, Let's proceed accordingly. All right. <clears throat> well, since we're friends, can I tell you about your background? <laughs> <laughs> it needs a sprucing up, right? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, All right. Well, guys, listening at home, we uh, we had a lively back and forth on the old messenger where I, 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 I – this is not my first podcast slash whatever this – this is a podcast, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Not my first podcast appearance, and what I've discovered is a lot of people either record video or don't. And a lot of times I forget to make note of that when I note it in the calendar. So okay. then I message them 20 minutes before, and I say, by the way, is there video? <laughs> <laughs> and then if I've had a particularly schlumpy afternoon, like playing around in the in the garden or the lawnmower, not inside the lawnmower, with the lawnmower. Hey, Have you tough um, to play yeah. All right, that just got really dark. Back to outside of the lawnmower, folks. Um, please. Hashtag safety first. Um, where were we? Were we recording a podcast? Yes. Yeah. And then I found. Oh, uh, you were twenty minutes. You twenty minutes out waiting to find yeah. out if you're recording video yeah. or not. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You're a good host. You should do this for a, for a living. That's that's the um, hope. Yeah, so if they write back and I look like crap, I'm like, oh, shit, honey, I'm running upstairs for a WQS, which is, by the way, world's quickest shower. That's okay. a, a right. abbreviation in, right, nice. in the Kentish household. Or Wookwes, if you choose to pronounce <laughs> it. So I ran upstairs for a Wookwes, scrubbed, and then I'll sometimes hear, honey, remember to use soap, and then I oblige... <laughs> told that helps with cleanliness and then uh when i'm all done i put on uh fresh fresh clothes including something with a collar and uh and then i try to look presentable now you you guys and i we were we were back and forth on that where i made the joke um if we have video then i will put on a shirt (laughs) um and for those of you just listening to the audio 
guys, can you vouch for the fact that I'm wearing not one, but one could say multiple shirts? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're killing it. Three, it looks like. Way, yeah. way more presentable than we are right yeah. now, for sure. Look at that. It's not a competition, and I'm winning it. <laughs> He's wearing more shirts than both of us combined. Yeah. I'm just wearing the hoodie I always build stuff in, so it's all <laughs> paint marks and paint. dirt. Uh, not dirt, but like wood chips and foam and all these other crazy things. Let's go ahead the record button. Yeah, that's that's awesome. What kind of building do you like to do? Um, I'm, I'm a set designer and a set builder So for different Ooh. theater groups, so I've been doing that i just wrapped a show um at the time of this recording last night we just finished we literally finished strike 25 and a half hours ago so congratulations thank you yeah it was it was a peaceful strike well, actually got a decent night's sleep when it was all done yeah i didn't leave my bed until noon today i took the day <laughs> off and i just like i think i woke up at like 9 30 and i just stared at the ceiling for like an hour and a half and, I, and it was that the first. Sounds... Yeah, it was the first time I had taken Beautiful. a break from something. August fifteenth. <clears throat> I have it marked on my calendar. <laughs> it's nice though, because uh, he the sets that he builds will eventually just turn into our actual podcast set. So we got a nice fake fireplace right now that we're gonna that I think would be a nice little centerpiece. Ooh. Yeah. That'll be exciting. I like that. <laughs> Almost making it like it's a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really seen people do that, or I never thought of that for a podcast. Like a nice, like, lit, like almost so. like a living room setting. Mm-hmm. It would not get a fake fireplace yeah. and some nice leather seats. Well, now <laughs> we're a couple steps ahead. Yeah. But- well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. But yeah. All right, we, we can talk about dreaming big. That's part of my story, man. We should I mean, start. We should start with your story. Your story fascinated me. I, I have a very musical theater background, so when I saw wrote a musical, I was immediately like, "Oh, this would be fun." I have so many questions. So, bring it. I'll start. We'll start easy, and we'll start broad. Um, what made you want to write a musical? And like. Yeah, what made you want to write a musical? We'll, we'll go with that first. Okay, so, um, like a lot of adult theater lovers, I was a theater-loving kid. I grew up in a family where the, the vinyl collection of my parents, to which I was granted access rather freely, um, it was heavy on the singer-songwriters of the 70s and 80s, uh, people I still love today, Carol King, Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, um, James Taylor, that whole crew, and then a whole lot of musical theater. Um, so that included records like West Side Story, um, My Fair Lady, Oliver was a favorite, Sound of Music, of course. Um, so that was just part of the soundtrack of my childhood. Okay. Um, my parents were kind of they're still alive. Uh, I don't live with them anymore. Uh, praise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love my parents. Always like them. Um, I just wrote that. Thank you. Um, but it's true. That's why it's funny, man. Um, I love my parents. Don't always like them. Um, same. I think 
can be said for a lot of us for our our loved ones anyway yeah. but back to yeah. the musical one of the things i do love about my my parents they're gloriously nerdy just like the two kids that they they raised um lots of books lots of public television very minimal tv and what we did get was definitely like like the math show which i think <laughs> my brother was testing on That's, really yeah I mean, he went to Yale, and I was like the slacker, so I went to Brown. So <laughs> yeah, what's going on? <laughs> uh, but, you know, all the way coming up, um, I loved it as an entertainment form. Like, when when the kids in elementary school went to the high school to see their musical, which was a, a local tradition, that was a, a peak day in the school year for me. Um, I remember very vividly the first time I went to New York City on a field trip for to see Lincoln Center, um, to see the New York City Ballet. That was in fourth grade. That's not musical theater per se, but it's professional theater right. at a spectacular level where the pageantry, the building itself, the whole show was just eye-popping. If you've never seen professional theater the first time you see it, whether it's touring Broadway or in New York itself, it's just, it blows the mind. Oh, yeah. And that happened repeatedly throughout my youth and my adolescence. Every time I went back to New York to see something, and that included Les Mis, of course, because like every middle school kid has to go to see <laughs> Les Mis if it's running. It's like the official show to see. Um, That's my dream show and, to produce, by the way. It's, yeah. it's It is on the top of my list. It's a it's a serious show to be yeah. sure, <laughs> and I remember, you know, even though we were certainly in the nosebleeds, um, watching from way in the back, and thinking like, I want that, I want that, meaning I want to be on that stage singing. Yeah, and um, I, I want to say I might have been end of middle school at that point, so eighth grade. And I was just starting to realize at that point that I was an exceptionally good singer and getting um, as much, God, I don't even know what swagger looks like for a 14-year-old with very limited <laughs> sexual experience, but like <laughs> vocal swagger. Because, yeah. you know, like for young men, it's very hard. Like I, as a grown up, when I see those Disney kids and, the Broadway kids just blow my mind. But like like young men, like the guy who was Ben Platt's replacement on Broadway was literally yeah. not, I think they had to wait for him to turn 18 because of the union rules. They couldn't work him enough, but they were ready to put him on at 17 and a half. The kid's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, and I think about myself, I was a very good singer at 17. Um, and I got good enough to go to conservatory. I ended up switching to Brown, long story short. But I definitely had that dream of singing and singing at a top level. And I worked my tail off throughout high school with lessons and I practiced a lot. I was in a ton of ensembles. Uh, so musical isn't always about wanting to be on the musical theater stage. I kind of hemmed and hawed. Hemmed and hawed isn't the right word. Let's say I... I traveled through different vocal styles over the years. Um, when I was younger, definitely musical theater appealed to me, but I sang in choirs and I was definitely classically trained and in that direction as a like 
a conservatory kid at Northwestern for one year. Um, when I went back to Brown, I sort of put singing on the shelf, did a little bit of like acapella stuff at a rather low level um, for a little bit. And then I became a rugby player. So then it was like wow. drunken singing. <laughs> um, yeah. No, then it was like I was a ringer for the pub singing. Um, I was well-meaning, but rather meddling um, as uh, scrum half, which is the position for the little guy okay. um, who picks up the ball. Um, and yes, I played with contact lenses. No, no, no glass glasses. glasses. Oh, yeah. It's a little risky. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Um, but yeah, whether even the the time on the rugby field, like all through college, like I would still see a play now and again. It was always something I enjoyed and sought out as an entertainment. And then um, fast forward to the show, um, the the. The show I'm talking about today is called Life Review, the Hospice Musical. And that's a project now 10 years-ish in the running. And it was 10 years ago in 2013 when I was a beginner chaplain intern. I was getting trained as a chaplain. That's like a religious person who helps people in need. I was working at a residential hospice as my home base. And... Um, Part of the work is you go in and visit with patients and their loved ones in the rooms and you speak bedside. One of the techniques that chaplains use is called life review. Uh, it's oh, okay. a series of interview questions that help the visiting person, be it chaplain or other clinician, like a social worker or counselor. It helps them kind of give a, a snapshot of a person's life or maybe a panoramic view if you want to be visual like that um so i i wrote a song about that that's the title track so to speak of the musical um with question and answer format um that gives a sense of of what that process is um but coming back to to the writing of the thing when I was visiting folks doing this life review process, I was hearing amazing stories, um, all kinds of people, um, flashy lives. I met a guy who claimed to be former CIA and Mossad. Couldn't verify that, but great story. <laughs> that right? would be a fun wow. a woman. Wow. Yeah, totally. A woman who was married to a band leader and traveled the United States on tour for 40 years. Um, a guy um, who was a world-famous labor leader. I can't drop his name, but if I did, you would be impressed. Okay. <laughs> and he went on hospice. Because guess what? When people get old and sick, Just, and yeah. they qualify for hospice care, they might go on hospice. Right. Um, so I heard all, I met all these people, um, and whether they were famous and impressive or rather work-a-day regular people or anything in between... Um, I found their stories super compelling and often very moving. Um, one night I was calling up my wife on the way home and I said, honey, I think these stories, they want to be songs. And she goes, Ben, get writing. So that night I opened up one of these uh, journal books, you know, with the black and white cover and started scribbling out notes for uh, a song that, made it all the way to the show 10 years later um it's called will it still snow and um we listened to the part of that in your preview video 
or not preview. Yeah, that's video, right. Yeah. Video. Yeah. That. Right. And it's, it's a ballad, a, a woman imagining life after her death. Um, she's someone who loves snow because she's from New England, used to ski with her family. Um, so the whole conceit of the song is someone um, wondering if life continues after their life ends. So I, that song came out um, inspired by a poem title, but also inspired by some of these conversations that were kind of milling about. You know, I didn't ever take someone's story and then like... Just copy. Write it verbatim and then add a melody. It was more like um, the characters or personas of the people suggested characters and then songs found their way to me. Um, a real life person who I worked with in hospice care suggested a character whose song would become um, very Frank Sinatra style um, because of his age and generation. Like that's the kind of music he would love. And it's sort of a swinging song about his last week on earth, I'll make a new friend. And this was based very much on his experience. He was only in hospice for about a week. He had kind of a gnarly infection and decided to let things take its course um, and was kept comfortable. And he was totally with it and made lots of friends. And like no exaggeration, everyone in the building knew him in a week. Wow. Probably wow. by the end of the first day. Just super friendly guy. And... Um, so I loved that um, because it's sort of a surprising story. We think of hospice as a place that's just, um, you know, where dying people go to die. And in a certain sense, that's true clinically. Uh, but what I found in real life, and I'm not talking what I fictionalized for the stage, but in real life, um, hospice was filled with a lot of laughter as well as tears and a lot of stories um of like pride and joy and satisfaction as much as sadness and regret. So when I created this musical, initially it was just about, um, you're a theater guy, so you know Chorus Line? Absolutely. That's one of my all-time favorites. Okay. So structurally, at first, I wanted to do it Chorus Line style, where each patient would kind of step up and sing their song, and you'd get a three-minute and 20-second version of their life. Uh, which is, you know, interesting songwriting challenge. Mm. Um, as it developed, I got the feeling from a lot of feedback from different people that I needed more of a story and more of a hero and a conventional I wish song and so forth. So I took a guy who looks a lot like me <laughs> and I put him on stage. Um, so in real life, I'm a cantor, which is a Jewish music minister. But my character who I put on stage is a rabbi. I'm named Benjamin. He's David. Uh, my name's Kintish. His is Goodman. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the details are also different. Um, he has two dead parents and is mourning them, struggling with his grief. Uh, in real life, my parents are alive and well. Um, but uh, I, ch I chose to add that character, and he has a very specific character arc where he goes from well-meaning and rather bumbling and competent in the first act, something we can all relate to, because mm -hmm. even if we've not been a chaplain, we've all had new jobs, and we feel like a jackass for the first few months. <laughs> Hope, 
hope no one notices before we figure it out, right? Right, absolutely. Um, so our chaplain hero does that on stage, and in a rather cringy moment, he quotes uh, the book of Job. Are either of you uh, Bible scholars? Not in particular. I have a little okay. bit from, I went to Catholic so Job school. is like a famously troubling book. The hero is a God-fearing man, said to be good. And then, like, the devil and God get in a bet, and the devil's like... It's funny. I'm producing a stage play right now that is literally this story. It's this story in comedy form. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it might... Yeah. Maybe do your back reading. It might be based on the book of Job. It sounds I think like it, it. I am almost positive it is because the entire story is the devil's yeah. trying to trick... the. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. The devil's trying to trick Job into cursing God, and God gives him yes, five yes, chances to do it. That is Job. Okay, yeah. yes. That is the, so that's based on a real book of the Bible. Okay. Whether that book really happened, I wasn't there to see. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, if you pay attention to it, it is theologically really problematic because the initial premise is Job is a good man whose life is totally fucked because Cause a stupid cause bet. Of a bet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like a premise for like a a, a weird Hollywood movie. It sounds like a um, premise for a stage play. <laughs> or a stage yeah, play yeah, you that go. you are currently producing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this well-meaning chaplain invokes this to a woman whose uh, 20-year-old son is dying of cancer. And, and he goes, Job was a God-fearing man too, uh, person too, and and his children died. And then the mother's like, get out! <laughs> and he's like, oh no, what have I said? And he leaves the room in shame. And this triggers his big I Wish song, which is a theological crisis. Okay. And he, and he looks up to the heaven like Tevya, my other big inspiration is Fiddler on the Roof. And... Um, and he sings to God, like, God, can you hear me even if I have nothing to say, even if nothing is going my way, God, be near me. And he, and he goes on. But it's a lot of very deep uh, theological stuff um, because a person of faith, when they face real-life crisis, um, th they often and I can speak of my own experience here, but we, we people of faith, especially those of us who have worked as clergy people, um, we go through real life too, uh, just like our congregants, mm -hmm. right? So we have loved ones of the older and younger generation who die. And uh, we have tragedies, minor and major, that befall us. Um, in fact, one of the most important books on this subject is uh was written by a rabbi uh it was called why does bad thing why do bad things happen to good people and it was written by a rabbi whose name of course i'll only remember once the interview is done <laughs> um, but the writing of this book very sadly was inspired by the tragic death of his young son to some kind of blood cancer like dead before his bar mitzvah so oh. not yet 13 and he wrote this book that ended up making him like an international superstar beyond the Jewish world, um, where he wrestled very elegantly and with no simple answers. Um, 
And and part of what he says early on that I personally find helpful is like if you actually believe in a god who pulls the strings a la marionette to use one of the famous metaphors if you believe in that god then everything bad that happens in the world is because someone did something wrong and god is having retribution to me that is unfathomably it is it is not a construct i can live with because all of the suffering is not people who are bad. They're just people living in the world. I mean, I'll, I'll name the elephant in the room. I'm a Jewish man of faith, and I'm distressed about the worsening situation, the violence in Israel and Gaza. Guess what? Two people of great, two peoples of great faith, Muslim people and Jewish people, um, in persistent violent struggle over holy lands everyone involved thinks they're right right and yeah. people are dying it's horrible it's horrible right um they're all praying for their people um i'll put here now i'm praying for peace at this moment and i hope everyone who's listening if you're a person of faith you can also pray for mm. peace in the Holy Land and around the world, as well as praying for healing uh, for those who are injured and Absolutely. Uh, and grieving. Um, but returning to the less heavy, um, there, there's a connection to the play there, though, is that big I Wish song. Um, it came from my, my heart because in my own experience, outside of musical theater, I've gone through my own stuff because I'm a real person too, right? And when, um, in the Jewish tradition, a cantor, the music minister, there's a nickname, Shaliach Tzibur, which is Hebrew for emissary of the people. You have that job to stand up there and pray on behalf of everyone. Um, it's a big responsibility and it can feel extra weighty when you're going through your own, um, your own crises of faith. So I tried to put that into the song a little bit. Um, and then there are other moments that are more joyous and uplifting. Um, there's some that are kind of sad. Um, there's one in the full length play. There's like a sexy R and B song. It might make you guys <laughs> giggle. Um, you just like the fact that there's a sexy R&B song in a hospice musical. It's, um, it's an interesting fit. I, I was going to say I like I like the idea of like the the songs themselves reflect the the person that the song is about so where like each personality is like like writing wise I I feel like that's it gives you a lot more freedom to kind of get a feel of what each one of these characters are and you can be like oh you know like you said like oh this can be like the the R and B song, this can be like this and that. Mm -hmm. So that's really, I really, really yes. like, like that. Well, the R and B song is a company number because R and B, after all, is an intergenerational <laughs> uh, genre. Whereas the Frank Sinatra song couldn't be a group number because not everyone likes Sinatra; just the old people do. No offense. <laughs> yeah. it's great. But if I start singing Sinatra, anyone under forty, they're like, uh, I can go three or four deep. Um, yeah, yeah. I had a Frank Sinatra album um, when I was a kid for some reason, but 
damn a bad example. The, I love the whole it was it. You're you're right that as a writing challenge, it was fun to play with genres because from the beginning, the the set the. The very first song I wrote and then shared with people was the one I mentioned, the one about snow. Mm -hmm. And I sang that in like a song swap workshop that occurred at a much bigger Jewish education conference. It wasn't even a music gathering, but that one room was filled with self-selected songwriters or aspiring songwriters. I shared the song. Half the room was in tears when it was done. And the organizer, a woman I love named Sue Harwitz, she's now a mentor and friend. Um, she came up to me and she said, you've created something of great power here, Ben. You do you have more material. And I said, I do. And she encouraged me to keep writing. So that might be like lesson number one in how to write a musical is you need to write the first song, not the all the songs. You need to write the first song. And then step two is share it with someone and if you're brave enough, share it with a group of people like mm -hmm. other songwriters and that, see how people react. Yeah, that, I mean, that that sounds like the best setting to really get, like, especially if it's, you have aspiring, like, songwriters just listening to, like, giving you all as much feedback. That's I feel like that's the best kind of feedback is getting it from other musicians feedback like from that. Your, yeah, your peers. Especially Absolutely. if that was the reaction. Like, you know that you really got something. Yeah. I mean, my wife teases me because, like, sometimes I allude. Well, she's heard this story, uh, so as a, as a key moment in the development of, of life review when I made the people cry, and um, it, and and she laughs about it like it's some sort of sadistic thing. But um, the thing is, if you can make anyone feel something of power in three minutes. Um, my friend Jason Spiewak, who's my original collaborator, um, he composed, I want to say, seven songs, and Michael Miller composed eight. Um, anyway, Jason has said, like, if in three minutes you can make someone get horny and want to get it on, or more euphemistically fall in love, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe not, or if you can make someone help to f express their rage you know like some awesome like headbanging rock or just make them get out of their seat and literally dance like that it makes them move um or in the case of this stuff make them cry or feel some sort of powerful sad emotion you've made magic i mean it's i I um, live in both the highbrow and lowbrow world. Maybe you got that already. Because like <laughs> when I start talking about some of this stuff, I spit all kinds of multi-syllable words and whatnot. But <laughs> I'm also someone who's a big and unapologetic Taylor Swift fan. And I went Amen. happily with my daughter to see the, the concert film the other day. Oh, Must okay. see, friends. I, yeah, my girlfriend's been so telling good. me about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Did you guys, whether or not you like Taylor Swift, was, it, was, fucking amazing. was the theater just everyone up and dancing? I kind of had a feeling well, it's... it wasn't as much of a scene as my daughter hoped for. Oh, really? Um, I'm kind of disappointed well, for so, so they anticipated such spectacular ticket sales that this particular AMC had like six, like I think four or five screens running. Wow, so. A lot of oh, theaters were at 50, 60, sort of 70 spread out, yeah. capacity, but not bursting at the seams. I gotcha. 
So I think you had some super fans who wanted to dance and sing and some like nervous clumps of moms on the other side of the <laughs> monitoring the unaccompanied 12 year olds with their little opera glasses. Yeah, I, I was fully expecting like like the like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, like showings that they have where everyone dresses up and is dancing up and down. There the was a lot of costumes, yeah. which was super fun. Yeah, people yeah. are dressing up as albums. Um, so my daughter coordinated that. Which album um, was she? I was assigned red. Okay. Right. Which was easy. I just wore a red shirt. <laughs> and then everyone said I looked like I worked at Target. Um, cause I had the tan pants. <laughs> and, uh, that would be State Farm. <laughs> wait. Is that a crossover thing that no one's thought of before? I have not thought about it until this point. <laughs> <and State> <laughs> I mean, they're both doing quite well separately. Right. But Maybe imagine they should merge. The synergy. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. There's a lot of stuff you can buy at Target that could get you injured. Exactly. That's and you would need, you need the State Farm. Hmm. To one, yeah. of the, one of the kiosks at the front. So you're also an entrepreneur, then. <laughs> um, you're creating businesses that over here. I yeah. <laughs> I am an entrepreneur. Yep, entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, it really depends what part of the country you're from. Exactly. I'm from Maryland, where people pronounce things rather strangely. Okay. Um, though, born and raised in the New York City area, so I say coffee in New York. Um, yeah, you know, we, we joke, um, but I got to say, in addition to being a songwriter, if you want to make your little project go... You have to pretend to be an entrepreneur. Um, and that's something that I've had to do along the way. Um, Thanks, you know, we were talking a little bit about the collaboration aspect. I write the lyrics and I wrote the lyrics for all 16 songs. I wrote the script the first time, rewrote it with a co-writer. Um, so there's a theme here. Like I've got a lot of the words and then I need a team to help make it happen. So then a whole group of musicians to make two main composers and two additional composer arrangers. Um, that was just to get all the songs done. And then the additional team I mentioned to get the script done. Um, but yeah, having a team was very, very important. Um, including, I should say, I mentioned Jason um, early on. Um, he and I agreed to work together, co-write some songs. That was exciting. Cause he's a hell of a good composer. Um, and I brought something in that he liked and it went well. And then we got together another time and I handed him a lyric sheet that I was very excited about. And he looked at it and read it and his shoulders kind of changed. And he took a deep breath and a sip of, you know, we had some nice brown stuff we were drinking. <laughs> and uh, he goes, he goes, this isn't it. And I'm like, what do you mean this isn't it? He's like, this isn't the song. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, and it's, it's almost so bad as to not want to be said, but that makes you, of course you want to hear it. So the name of the song was keep it orderly. And it was meant to be a reggae dance song. So the idea of a dance song is a good idea. Okay. We need more dancing in the hospice for sure. That's like, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That poster has been seen embroidered. <laughs> Um, or I guess needle pointed on the walls of hospitals <laughs> yeah. everywhere. More dancing, please. Right. Um, but at least in the musical version, they have that sign. Um, uh, anyway, 
What the f- I. Your, da- your dance song. I got lost in my joke. <laughs> your reggae dance song and why it got rejected, essentially. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. orderly song. It was so bad. So it was built on a pun of keep it orderly, like keep things neat. And the orderlies, as in the housekeepers, keep it neat. Here's the problem. One, that's not that funny a joke. And two, no one uses the word orderlies to describe the housekeepers. They say housekeepers or <laughs> cleaning lady. Sounds like old cleaning timey ladies. Yeah. It, it re- No, you're right. It really <laughs> yeah. is like a like orderly is just out straight out of like a 1970s yeah. movie. I mean, I love that. And... I'm, I'm all about puns. So <laughs> I would have. Well, well, rest assured, I did plenty more wordplay in the in the musical. You'll have to see it in a you know show near you, but. Um, no, I, uh... oh, the point of the story wasn't how bad the song was. The point was that when Jason said it wasn't so good, he saw my face fall. And then he said, hey, Ben, listen, if you want to be my writing partner, you have to believe in my taste and I have to believe in your skill. And we're going to like meet in the middle. Like if you bring me something and I like it, I'll say, oh, good. And that's what I said about the last one. If you bring me something and it's not good, you have to trust that I will tell you that. Otherwise, I'm a worthless partner. And I took a deep breath and I was like, that is very painful and important to hear. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, but it doesn't have to be painful. It's good to write a bad song. Puts the, you got it out of your system. Yeah, puts the other ones in perspective. Yeah. yeah. And like, I've never met a songwriter I respected who didn't have a, a similar version of that same message. Okay. Like a, a guy I know named Joe Buchanan for his first, um, you know, self-published debut album with 10 songs on it. Like, what is that? A small LP? Yeah. Um, but still like a real album. He said he cut demos for 30 songs. He wrote 50 songs and he probably had a hundred song titles. And he had 10 songs on the LP. Yeah. So started with a hundred song titles, half of which he wrote into songs, 30 of which were good enough to demo of which a third were good enough to put on his album. And he's since made a couple since. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was still working ratios like that. Um, I didn't have that many fully realized songs that hit the cutting room floor. But I will say like that there were plenty of song ideas that came and went or that I started and were in journal books in various degrees of completion. And then when I, like for me, the, the key step it's like i've got an idea i'll like put it in the phone then i'll come back to it one night and write the song usually like many more verses than i need and then often on a different night i'll go back and edit and trim it down and i'll go from eight verses to five and then like Mm -hmm. really make sad faces while i go to four (laughs) verses that part's very very difficult um part of the reason why a lot of my songs are a little bloated because I'm still not all the way there. 
my opening number definitely has four verses, which is like a real sin for an opening number. But I swear it's funny. It really is. Um, but, you know, what can you do? Got a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah. If you need four, four, four verses, you need four verses. It's all right. But you I ever... am listing all of the people who will eventually die. <laughs> okay. Then you need four verses. Yeah. Because exactly. there are there are how many characters who die in the show? Are there four characters who die in the show? Well, the punchline is spoiler alert: everybody <laughs> dies in the end. Okay. Sorry to ruin the play, my friend. Love them or hate them, it cannot bend. Everybody dies in the end. And then the verses are all the people who will die. Okay, no characters, but everyone everywhere. That reminds me of randomly. That reminds me of the um, first number in the. The Great Comet of 1812. That's how that the first uh, song in that musical is as well. A lot of uh, it, it's it's for world. it's they're telling a story, and they're telling a story about each character. But there's like six or seven characters, so it's a it's like a seven minute first song. Okay, so yeah, and yeah, it's, if it's, if you it's need like it. when you compare your song to American Pie. It's tidy, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like five verses, and it comes in at only four and a half minutes. Exactly, quick and done. Um, not Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and do you ever go back when you when you those like partial songs that you have and whatnot? Do you ever go back and try to try to make something of it, or is it just sort of like that? That is a great question, and I want to give you a virtual high five for <laughs> asking me a question I've never heard before. All right. Thank you. Um, ah, the orphans. Um, <laughs> someone, someone make me a song. You were so excited when you thought of me in the swimming pool. And you thumbed me in your phone, dripping wet. Possibly naked. Oh, Sorry man. to paint a picture there. That weird voice. Who, whose voice was that there? I don't know. That's a first, guys. You know, I was inspired by that delightfully strange intro. You know, we we skipped over your intro music. Um, I listened to like episode is like twenty six or twenty eight. Is that still the intro? stuff or have you changed since then oh no we we switched we it around switched, yeah. actually yeah because the Cause that one that i listened to that and i was like that just took me on a psychedelic journey no bonus stuff necessary at <laughs> all yeah because on those clips man i think they uh the the original because now we started out with the one where it was just a bunch of like the random clips of people talking and then the song that was in the background was one of the songs that we wrote and then I think it felt like the we're gonna like slowly shifting the actual intro music as we write songs. So like right now it's like a '80s montage kind of sounding song going into it, which is another part that we're writing. But okay, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I answered your your question about the orphans. I think the orphans <laughs> mostly live in the book, yeah. but this is where um, old man Ben says. Um, you young kids should get yourself a composition book. <laughs> and I'm all like twisting and turning in the wind. I got to grab one of these on camera. Oh, here we go. Nice. It's the, uh, it's the decoupaged. Yes. Songwriting oh, book. Very nice. So underneath there is a regular journal book. 
and inside are actual songs. Okay. Um, some of these have become things, some aren't, some are for the next show. Um, but I highly recommend if you're new to songwriting or old to songwriting or any kind of writer, decorate your books. It's fun. Yeah, that need, I actually need to get a songbook. I, I, my, I mean, I've always been terrible with lyrics personally. I've, I'm more the the instrumental kind of person. So I do it. You were saying like, if I'll come up with something while I'm at work, I'll just pull out the memo thing on my on my phone and just start singing into it. Yeah, just start singing a melody or like an idea first. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of stuff that I know that we've written before that we started, and you know, I was like, "Oh, this is going to sound great," and then we just sort of slowed down on it. And I know we've tried to like go back to it and see if it we've works, but I wasn't sure if it, it never really, I guess, panned out totally. And there's always that hope, so I wasn't sure if there was anything that you have gone so, through. I'll say, for because I've been going at it with this particular project for so many years there were opportunities to go back again and again through these different journal books in ways that were rather non-linear. And I think that's like a good lesson from this project too, is sometimes you need to like kind of bounce around through the material and think about what works and what doesn't. Um, I mean, Sometimes things just don't gel the way you want it to. Um, even with the collaborations, there were a couple of moments where I had a co-write that didn't quite go. And some of the composers responded well and like gracefully when I said, I want you to try something a little different. Mm. And when one person wasn't able to respond with grace, they didn't continue to have a place on the team because... You know, like, yeah, that's if it doesn't if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, like no hard feelings. That's that's a really tough piece. But but back to your 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 orphans question. The reason why writing stuff down is helpful. You never know. Um, sometimes I could find in a song that wasn't great, there might have been one couplet one pair of of rhymes that was strong and one big bad song if there's one good line i could repurpose that into another song um or even use the turn of phrase that's the best gem within the longer line yeah um so that's something that i think can happen and and is probably made easier by the physical book i'm sure there are digital adherents listening who think i'm sounding rather like lo-fi and i i own that no i um, <laughs> i was gonna say I eventually type stuff up for clarity and editing purposes um but i wait till very late in the revisions game like i do all of my revisions in longhand like with ink not clean it up i, I really dig into counting thing. syllables I'm the same way. Do you guys count works. syllables? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it sometimes. I, yeah, I'm the same way writing lyrics. I need to, and even if I'm designing something to, whether it's theater, whether I'm writing lyrics, I have to do it by hand first. I have to do it with a pen and a piece of paper. 
And eventually I can turn it into digital, but there's just something different about having a notepad something in front of me. about writing it down. Yes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure that's helpful. So that was a great question. Oh, thank you. Uh, the other thing I've written, and this isn't really a question, more of a comment. I like, I like how you're saying that the the character in your play, his he's dealing with his grief of his parents' loss, and hit, I, I'm assuming what his like answer to that is to just put himself in a position where he's dealing almost with that through other people. Is that something that kind of is a through line that goes through the the play? Or? I mean, that is a. It's a smart observation. I'm going to say yes, sort of. (laughs) Yes to to part of what you just said. Uh, You're definitely paying close attention to notice that the caregiver who's struggling and is helping other people in their struggles, they're definitely like acting out a certain desire. Um, This is something that we used to discuss a lot in our chaplaincy training. Um, we talked at great length and at great emotional intensity about our own grief journeys, about deaths of our own loved ones. Um, why? Because it's the same reason like therapists have to be in therapy. Um, you got to have your own, your own shit together. Yeah. Um, or at least mostly understand it before you can help others. Um, in the case of our fictional character, you know, I, I'm a little fuzzy in the details. That's not really why people are coming in to see the show. They don't, I, maybe down the road, a dramaturg will disagree with me and we'll throw in a few more details as nuggets, but I, I've painted the Rabbi David character in kind of broad strokes, but um, look, there's a, there's a tradition of having heroes who are orphans. <laughs> uh, several of Lin-Manuel's leading men have been orphans and certainly we've seen that in other plays too um i think it suggests a kind of vulnerability even for an adult right and there is this real thing that happens when you're a caregiver to older people and i can speak with real experience in this because i did four years of chaplaincy training um 300 hours of supervised visits um each year so a lot of time Mm. visiting two years in hospice care two years in elder care so you know when you do all this time with with different kinds of elders um one of the first things you learn in your training is if you visit someone who is approximately the age of your own parents you say you know let's say i meet a guy who's an old jew like my dad I think to myself, this is an old Jewish man, like my father. He is not my father. Let's move on. And it sounds sort of ridiculous to say that. Or if it's an old Jewish woman, which I met a lot of because I was an intern at a Jewish facility. This is an old Jewish woman. It is not my mother. Let's move on. Now, you have to say that because you might get confused and start not to be inappropriate and like sexual kind of way, but like to be psychologically inappropriate with someone who starts to feel a little bit too much like your mother, Mm. right? Because a chaplain who's working the same, you know, 20 or 30 rooms, they might naturally develop some favorites, 
right? And what if you're someone, I'm making up a theoretical here, but just to paint a picture, like if you're someone whose mother has died and then you are visiting, um, as, as you suggest, like visiting people, um, maybe they start to feel like stand-ins for your missing parent, or maybe you have conversations that it might be like a little bit off kilter. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, subconsciously, it, you have like you meet totally. somebody and you're like, oh, they remind me of my father. Mm-hmm. And then yep. you start relating their story to being your dad instead of what their story actually is. Yeah, spot on. And and one of the reasons why, um, you know, the, the, the mistake our hero makes in early in the play isn't just to quote Job. It's also to flex his rabbiness, as in, I'm the smartest scholar in the room, let me teach you and preach at you. And in doing that, especially with the wrong text, he, he falls on his face. Later in the play, what he learns to do is to step back, um, to create space for the other, so that they can have, you know, to use the theater word, to, like to have the space, to have the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great Hebrew term I want to share with you. Uh, it's called simsum. It's fun to say simsum. Um, <laughs> so it means the withdrawal of oneself. Um, and it is first heard in like old Hebrew legend about when God created the world, God had to remove God's self from the universe to make space for what would become earth because God had taken all the space. So God had to like diminish God's self to make space for creation. It's an, it's a mind blowing concept on so many levels yeah. that even yeah. God had, diminish, had to diminish God's self to make space for the other. And when we try to help other people, um, we learn as chaplains, and I might say all of us as regular people too, we have to be mindful that our helping intentions don't take up too much space in the room. Um, So that early in the play, when he's like, look at me, I'm smart and clever, that's when he falls and he actually causes great hurt and great harm. Um, Parenthetically, that's part of what's very intense about about being a chaplain in hospice care. Sometimes you only see the people one time or two times because they're busy getting ready to die. So they might be there for a week or two and you only Mm -hmm. see them once. Um, it's not to say you have to solve all of their theological problems in one visit, but when possible, you want to, um, enter into a a serious conversation if they're able, or a seriously prayerful moment if they're unable to have a conversation, Uh, but you don't want to waste time because time is precious in that sort of situation. It's like, it would be very challenging too, to, if it's the one time you're, you're kind of having a lot of you know, some of the most heavy discussions of their life and they've just met you. So, yeah, well, that's the, uh, that's, that's the heart of the, the big title song. Um, you know, on the turnaround, he goes, um, you know, you can tell me your secrets if I earn your trust. And he also says, um, you know, if if there's t- he ta- he talks about if there's going to be enough time, 
and he means it in both ways because okay. clinical visits right. are by definition short, mm -hmm. 30 minutes, an hour if they're like really lively, but that's kind of pushing it. Okay. 30 minutes is usually plenty for a, for a chaplain kind of a visit. Um, so your time is short and then it's your time is short in that bigger sense. Like you're forming relationships with people who are dying um, and their loved ones. That's very important. The plus ones are important in real life hospice care um, and elder care, of course. And they're um, important in my play. Um, there's a lot of interplay between the, the, um, the patients and they each have a plus one. Okay. So oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that, I can see how that would play a big role because obviously, like the patient is going through something, but on the other side of it as well, it's like a totally different type of emotion that that person's going through. So, yeah, right. some of the best dialogue happens in the dyads, um, and then there's also uh, late in the play um, a, a rather lovely duet that's kind of a a romantic waltz between the old married couple. And it's one of those theatrical moments. I can reference theater with you. I know. Um, so in um, hair, you have the veterans who pop out of bed yeah. at the VA hospital for a dance number. And in the green day musical, um, the soldiers get out of bed and dance. So I, I I'm just keeping that, that tradition going. I forgot the Green Day even had a musical. Yeah, <laughs> we totally. Got it. Yeah, I saw it on Broadway. It was, was it pretty good. good. Was, uh, okay, right? okay. Yeah, I mean, I happen to be a big fan of the album, so when I heard they made it into a musical, I was like, "Huh, I'm gonna have to see that." Yeah, that was the um, first album yeah. I ever bought. The American Idiot. Yes, great album. Yeah, that's good. Great. Oh album. yeah. Oh, I loved it, and I didn't know it was a musical until years later. Say, yeah. Did they just take a Did they just make a narrative out of the? out of the album or there's a narrative to it it's kind of written as there, a... there is a loose story yes. it's a like loose a concept album are. okay yeah um yeah i think the album was already had a little bit of an implied plot arc and then they gave a a little bit more of characters okay um but there is not a lot if i remember correctly this is going back a few years now but if i remember not a lot of dialogue in the green day musical but I was just bringing it up because yeah. in in musicals you can do magical things like get sick people to jump out of their hospital bed and do a dance number. So I have that happen a few times. Awesome. Um, because I just love the effect and um, both for the visual and I, I think it's meant to also convey a message um, that these people, even in their dying days, are full of life. Um more broadly older people are still full of life and um even in our times of sadness we can be um joyful and exultant and you know in the case of one sort of gospel inspired song we can sing praise to god for our bodies even at the times that they may be failing us um so the getting up and standing proud i think visually is exciting for people and surprising because, you know, I, I'm playing a lot in, in this whole project. I'm playing a lot with our conceptions of what hospice and more broadly dying looks like. 
And believe me, I still give sad and quiet moments. There, there will be tear jerkers to be, to be sure. Um, but I'm not going to show every death. Um, and, and also there's going to be a lot of laughter. Um, and hopefully a lot of like great high energy singing to go with the sad and moving power ballads. And like I said earlier, that reflects like my lived experience as a hospice chaplain that um, there's just such a such an incredible amount of life. Um, yes, I'm sprinkling more life on our our patients who are fictionalized, you know, theatrical characters, mm -hmm. because that's what you get to do in a musical comedy. Um, but in real life hospice care, my experience was that the place was rather lively. A lot of that was among the staff who tended to have like really great senses of humor um, and were very friendly and loving to one another as a way to build each other up in a tough work environment. Um, or rather a tough line of work. Yeah. We, we kept the work environment really wonderful. Um, the work is difficult. So you want a hospice or any medical care facility to be like a positive and encouraging place. Yeah. Um, so I I took some of those experiences and I I tried to bring them to the libretto, the script that I wrote, to some of the songs um, as a hat tip to the nurses who I worked so closely with during my internships. Um, our wise hero is the nurse. She is the voice of hospice care. She sings the ballad that is inspired rather directly by the words of um, Dame Cicely Saunders, um, who's considered the mother of the modern hospice care movement. She was a nurse in England and wrote words, including the phrase, live until you die. Um, and I use that as the name of the song that sort of explains what hospice care is um, early in the play. Okay. And it is the nurse who sings that song. Um, so how, hat tip to the nurses, um, you know, and I'm all of a sudden I'm finding myself rather nostalgic for my time as a chaplain. Um, I'm not currently working as a chaplain. I'm just portraying a fictional one on stage, okay. <laughs> uh, singing in that role. Um, but I am, you know, as I tell the story of writing the play, I think rather fondly of these places. And I think that was part of the inspiration. It, um, you know, there have been lots of chaplains over the years visiting people and hearing wonderful stories. Um, it, I I needed to be, uh, I guess the 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 blossoming songwriter, um, experiencing these these stories and ready to put them on a stage. And this uh, this journey's been super exciting now. Um, Going on nearly 10 years. So here we are post pandemic. Would you believe it? All right. I'm not dead, <laughs> despite rumors to the contrary. Oh, no. <laughs> um, guys, did you know a lot of. Uh, every time I, I start a joke by saying a lot of people are saying, my <laughs> wife interrupts and says, no one is saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, a lot of people are saying that um, this hospice musical. Um, so, no, no one is saying anything about the hospice <laughs> musical. But I do want to say um, that 
during COVID, we hit the brick wall. You and I were talking about this a little bit in our pre-interview. Do you want to talk about the COVID pivot? Because yeah, I bet no, you a lot of the music yeah, he, that listening. That was going to be my next question. He told this, me a little bit about what? it. Yeah, yeah, that was. That oh, was, my God. You were on a roll, and right. I didn't want to cut yeah, you off. Right. Can we do, like, some mind meld hands here? <laughs> Absolutely. For you listeners. Okay. But that was outstanding the way you leaned back there. All right. So if you're listening, for one, the shirts are still on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> shirts remain on. Um, but we did some gestures. There were some magic fingers and magic occurred. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I remember time, watch the video. I'm doing like this. I, as you're telling me this whole story, I'm, I'm, what popped into my head 10 or 15 minutes ago was like, you had mentioned when we had talked on the phone that you had to cut the entire story and the cast list or uh, like the amount of ca- the amount of characters in the story down. Um, That's right. Yeah, because prior to COVID, the, if if you guys check out the website, and I hope all of you listening or watching do, life that was our musical. pre-show meeting. Com. Go ahead, yes. say that again. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> LifereviewMusical.com, and we'll have that in the show notes, right? Yes, oh, we definitely. Anyway. <laughs> what, what? So we need, um, you need a podcast next when you're yeah. done with the musical. You could totally do it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, you, are, you are too kind, and um, I speak all of the love languages, including praise. So <laughs> you can just keep it um, But, uh, oh, crap. You you got me all flabbergasted at the nice compliment about a podcast. Um, I can hear my mother's voice saying, "What, Benjamin? In your copious spare time?" <laughs> she literally said that when I was a teenager, wanting to join another singing group, uh-huh. and every time she would say, "Benjamin, what? In your copious spare time?" <laughs> and and I guess. Looking back on it, this weird, very Catskills kind of joke was funnier with each successive singing group because I, I had less and less spare time. But <laughs> anyway, I, I did not understand how funny my mother was until many years later. Um, shout out to Alice if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry for the cursing, Mom. I didn't know you'd be tuning into this one. <laughs> it's the worst anyway, it crazy thing if she's like a huge fan of us just yeah. by happenstance. Oh, your mother or my mother? Your mother. I, Listen, yeah. keep my mother's name out your mouth. All right. I've always wanted to say that on a <laughs> podcast. Um, thank you for teeing that up for Absolutely. me. Um, what were we talking about before? We were talking about our um, mothers. <laughs> we were talking this, about how... Hey, you Great. had gotten, you know, you started writing the show in 2000. Oh, the full length show. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So, first iteration of the show was 10 songs, and we put it on as a concert musical or concert workshop performing from Binders. That was at a summer conference in Portland, Oregon. Was that from then, the, the video that you guys have up on the website? No, the one on the website was workshop number two. Gotcha. That one was 16 songs with full dialogue and intermission. That was with community theater talent, all volunteers. They did an amazing job. We did, I guess I was part of that. 
cast. And um, part of it, he wrote it and started it. <laughs> Uh, truth <laughs> truth i gave myself a uh, a very challenging role but um i also cast myself so it's my fault and my <laughs> blessing and my burden and all of the things um yeah so the show was amazing one of the greatest nights of my life um along with like the, my wedding and the birth of my child it was incredible and it was also january 27th 2020 so you guys may remember what happened two yeah. months later. I can add so... to that really quickly because I played a show. I had, Me and uh, a band I was in played a show on February 7th, and we opened for what was a pretty popular touring act at the time. And we were like, Ooh. wow, this might go somewhere. Like People like us yeah, now. Yeah, getting excited. Uh-huh. COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. So... Like everyone with a project on the move, I was devastated when COVID hit and live everything was shut down. I worked with a creative coach, shout out to Alexandra Palting of Hustling Creative. If you're a hustling person or a creative person who needs to learn how to hustle, check out Hustling Creative. <laughs> um, she's an amazing coach and she specializes in working with creative people as the name would imply. And so, we talked through our COVID sadness. Um, she was an aspiring Broadway actress who had just gotten her first off-Broadway contract that was scheduled to begin, you know, March of or, or April of 2020. Mm -hmm. So she had her own COVID heartbreak. And so we commiserated a whole lot. And then she said, okay, so when we're done being sad, what do we do next? And she said, look, you can take that beautiful project and put it in a drawer and that's okay. No one will fault you if you do that. A lot of people are putting their projects in the drawer. But if you don't want to put it in the drawer, we have to talk about what you do next. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what do we do next? <laughs> it's like my full-on sad Eeyore voice. Because I was, like, honestly, I was really freaking depressed. It was so... I mean, I'm... I mean, not full-on clinical depression, but I'd say, like, teetering on the edge. And in, in terms of the project, I was devastated because I'd been on this, like, super rocket of excitement. And, you know, the whole month of February prior to uh, the pandemic was all these, like, making connections and talking about plans and dreaming big, right? And so the letdown was serious. Anyway, um, what Alexandra, or Alex, as she's known, once you get to know her, said was okay a lot of people are pivoting to online and i was like no and she's like okay i'm hearing your resistance but a lot of people are pivoting to online and i'm like no and she's like hey, i'm gonna bill you for this hour whether you're 10 times or not but let me say again some people <laughs> or pivoting to online and I was like <laughs> no so she wore down my resistance and what we discussed was different different possibilities for how to present the work online and the two big ideas that we saw people doing and and that we weighed one was some sort of pre-recorded something like a lot of people went and did like 
either recorded in their home and spliced together or even recorded outside with distance and mask, blah, blah, blah. And essentially, some of our theater friends became movie makers, right? And then they shared that and they were like, this is a play, even though it was sort of like a movie, but whatever. (laughs) And then choice two was to do something that was essentially a super condensed one-man version that could be done live and streamed. And I was like, how can you do a one-man version of a show that's built around an ensemble? And she said, well, what if we talk, instead of condensed, we just talk cabaret? Because if it's cabaret, you don't have to have a strictly coherent linear line. You can skip ahead three months and just say it because you're the narrator. And no one will blink because in cabaret, like, there isn't an expectation of a a so-called beginning, middle, and end. There's a suspension of disbelief, basically, for the entire Yeah, or there's even, like, right, like... There is no timeline, essentially. There's no timeline in a lot of cabaret shows. And, And certainly very minimal scenery, if anything. And so we talked about that, and she said, well... Could you do do you have a laptop with a camera? And I was like, of course I do. She's like, then you can do video from your home. She's like, if you're willing to invest some money, you know, for example, you know, this is like the two hundred dollar Yeti. That's what I got, yeah. yeah. That's why we right. started our podcast with that same mic. Right. And the arm I got the good one. And I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, <laughs> hands in place. Um, and that's the less good mic setup. I have a better mic setup that I hardly ever use that I only plug in for like paying gigs. No offense, guys. That's all good. Um, it's all good. But like part of that learning process included investing a little bit in the gear, paying for a sound guy I knew to like set it up and run live sound for my first live show where I did it from this room. Um, I also, you know, in place of the wonderful live pianist, Miriam Cook, I had all of my muse scores edited and then got the, you know, very accurate, but not very expressive robot piano that muse score has. And so I have all those tracks on my iPad when I have a little bit more money and time and money in the project, I'd like to improve those tracks, but they're good enough to sing with. And um, so I can perform from this room and I pick up the guitar for two of the eight songs. So it's eight songs with narration, uh, soup to nuts, it runs 45 minutes. So I performed that during the pandemic 10 times from this space. And I performed it for my synagogue. I performed it for the big elder care facility I used to work at. And get this, they piped it through the television. So it went to all the rooms. Oh, that's cool. Or hundreds of old people. So that was exciting. <laughs> um, I did a big charity concert in partnership with a friend of mine, Karen Wyatt. Shout out to Karen Wyatt. If you want to learn about end of life stuff, end of life university, best podcast there is with Karen Wyatt. Um, so Karen and I became friends after an interview. And then she said, how can I help? And then she produced a concert. We did it online. I did the show. Her podcast listeners turned up and made nice donations and we were able to um, share some funds with my project and make a nice donation to Denver hospice. So that was cool. 
and um, a few other appearances for conferences and other institutions along the way. Now, COVID's over for the most part, or it's managed, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> the worst of the pandemic is behind us. Tuh, tuh. And um, I was glad to do Asheville Fringe Festival this past spring. Um, that was my first time performing the one-man show live on the stage. And it was well-received, so it works outside of my basement. I'm happy to report. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> In fact, um, as beautiful as you two guys are to look at through the computer, <laughs> it's nicer to look at real people, um, non-pixelated. 100%. I mean, you guys are real in a certain way, but... You know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I... it's nice to be live in person, and now I'm making arrangements for some house concerts. Um, I'm actually in the initial steps of arranging two mini tours, one to Chicago, uh, which is going to begin with a house concert there, as well as a synagogue performance, and I'm hoping add to some more to add some more. That's next spring, so spring 2024, as well down. as summer of 2024. I'm going to be in the Boston area. Um, before and after my annual trip out to Massachusetts for a, a songwriting retreat that I do there. Oh, that so sounds fun. I have some plans in the distant future. And and along the way, a current and distant future, or near and distant future, that is. Um, but along the way, I am also looking for partners. So if you're listening and you're involved with the theater world, especially a theater that does new works, um, if you find the conceit of the musical or what I shared today. Interesting. Please do get in touch. Um, I'd love to hear from you and uh, talk more. We are looking for a producing partner for our first live stage reading and, uh, you know, performance since, since the pandemic world, since the live theater world has opened yeah. up again. I know the Chicago area. I could definitely help you with yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Off. My, yeah. my brother does That's a right. lot of... That's yeah. right. We're going to talk about who to invite to my in-laws house and maybe <laughs> which other appearances we're going to try to go even bigger than one very beautiful apartment um, but, no, you know, it's thanks. good to have somewhere to start yeah um, and then part of the idea of those small gigs and i was telling you about this and i'll share this with with all of your legions of fans um and i learned this from jason so second time i'm quoting his wisdom he is after all a music biz professional has been working in the business since his 20s, and he's my age, or early early 40s, not 30s, 40s. Um, but he says there's no small gigs. And um, that's super important. And I try to keep that in mind for everything I teach. Like, I'm a music teacher by trade, but, like, if I have, quote, just, you know, just a kindergarten class... If they're all there, I'm at a very small private school. When they're all there, it's 10 kids in one class. So if there's like a bad cold one week, I could have like seven children on the rug. Yeah. So like if I think to myself like, oh, it's only seven kids. And I'm like delivering half-assed performance, so to speak. It's not fair to those seven kids, mm -hmm. right? Better, I show up and I say like, I'm so glad we're all here. We're going to have an amazing time. Let's go. And they're like, yeah, music. <laughs> so similarly for grownups, like when we have gigs and like there's a small crowd, I think the best thing to do is like, hey, everyone, move up to the front. Let's make this amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you the best concert you've ever seen. Yeah. And you're going to be five feet away from me. Let's do it. Because regardless of whether and or not you've played that song 400 times, they've, they're only going to hear it the one time. 
So that's right. It's yeah, it's got to be. You got to make it as best as you can. Yeah, it's got to be the best, best you've ever played it every time. Yeah, and what Jason, like the 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 bonus advice about the tiny gig is, he says the super fans are the ones who are in the room, whether on purpose or by accident or whatever. But they're in the room for that tiny gig, and you bring it, and they're like. Yeah. I love you. They're the ones that start coming stop. to the other ones. Yeah. They're the ones who tell everyone. <laughs> and um, it's one of the reasons why I continue to do podcasts, not just because I love to talk <laughs> on and sing unexpectedly, <laughs> but, um, but also because you never know who's listening. And I want to keep sharing about my project because I really believe in it. So if you're listening uh, wherever you are, if you're doing your dishes, do your do your listeners exercise? If you're jogging or supping, if you're swimming, good job investing in those underwater the, yeah. headphones. Fly <laughs> off and then get in touch because I want to hear from more swimmers. Um, <laughs> notice how I specifically didn't mention equestrian. I just want to name that. <laughs> Give it space. All right. Yeah. Cool. Let's, let's move there on. we go. <laughs> oh, I found those wood blocks. I was we were writing a song. We did an episode where we wrote a song on the episode, and I wanted to put like the sound of horse hooves. So I just took two pieces of wood and started clapping them together, and it worked. We didn't have any coconuts, but yeah. that was a good second. You know. <laughs> First of all, we didn't have any coconuts. Great song title. <laughs> Episode name there title. Go. There you go. <laughs> well, okay, so maybe that's our that's our episode title. We didn't yeah. have any coconuts. Colon, how to write a musical about hospice. Yeah, um, that's good. Thank you. Um, while I'm at it, I can also host an interview myself. You guys can just take the night off. I've just this has been I've been loving this. It's so fascinating hearing just like because I I personally like I know Jake is uh, big into like the musical scene. I'm the only one in my family who wasn't because I I I do private music lessons uh, and I focus mostly like I play French horn and trumpet and then all of my siblings went into the musical route and like the choir and all that nice. stuff. So it's interesting to see here the like. Because I've seen a bunch of different plays that they've been in. I've done a, you know, I've seen, I think the first one I saw in, like, like an actual play, I think it was, was Wicked up in Chicago, which, okay. like you were saying, the Last first time you see, like, a, like a Broadway play, it's just, it's, like, yeah. it gave me chills. That one is a spectacle yeah, in every it, way. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, it's, it's I like hearing the the other side of it of like how this all comes together and all that other stuff. So yes, and this this is not this is not the typical thing. Uh, for those of you who are wanting to write a musical, you don't need to take ten years. Um, <laughs> I am planning for the next one to take at least half as long. Um, I currently have three main ideas, and I haven't decided which one I'm most excited about. Um, there's a children's musical that takes place at a bird feeder where there's all the characters are animals except for one bad man who's like the homeowner who's who yells at the squirrel. Okay. And the squirrel right. feels oppressed cuz he just wants to eat. <laughs> um, You're going to upset a costume maker, but aside from that I like the idea. 
Well, definitely. I mean, yeah. definitely a fun costume show. Yes. Whenever you dress as animals, you are correct. Um, idea two is the one that's more medium adult size um, or adult age is chorus class the musical so this is my second inspired by my own job musical <laughs> so after working hospice i taught chorus for a while so now i have a musical about that in the works think 25th annual putnam county spelling bee but a little bit more singing and a little less spelling okay um and then the other one is a collabo that started during covid I kind of forgot about, and I guess if I mention it, I might get interested in again. Um, but based on my face, maybe not. You don't want to mention it. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it'll be the musical that shall be unnamed. Yeah. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Oh, listener, what if he's thinking about your idea? Right. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean no? No, 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 no. not at all. We change things all your, the time. Your idea is, your idea is fantastic, and you are a freaking unicorn snowflake <laughs> listener. You are so special because you're tuning in to um, to Pod Save America. Absolutely. And... Wait, wait, wait. No, wait. This isn't Pod Save America. Wait, this is this American Life. Death. Oh shit. <laughs> um. Death, sex, and money. I'm just listing NPR podcast. This is the next new episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Yes. (laughs) I like that. Conan, um, many of my friends are big fans of your show. I, for one, think you are somewhat amusing. (laughs) And I... I am not quite sure why they called me here in Finland to be guests on your show when I am only moderate fan, but I guess I will do interview. Yes. That I feel would, like they've had that guest on a few times. I would say that would be an interesting, just like a, a celebrity interviewing someone who's very lukewarm about the celebrity. Oh, I would well, love to put that that's together. That's the whole kind of conceit of uh, b- Between Two Ferns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it's, a good point. Because Galfanang is just utter giving no fucks yeah. about yeah. everyone. <laughs> Who he's talking to. Including Obama, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I wouldn't oh be able to. Oh, my God. I couldn't keep a straight face that whole time. Oh, I could do that for sure. Well, I can just... for sure do that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. There, there are a lot of... That show is... I mean, it's... It's cringe. It's cringe comedy gold. Yeah, it's one hundred percent. Anyway, um, holy crap! Where were we? Were we talking about something? Is this thing on? <laughs> you guys, wait, wait, wait! One of your heads disappeared. I think we're at the end of. We it's got speaking. <laughs> yes, keep bouncing in and out. Go together, like yeah. uh, like Aerosmith sharing a, a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. One thing yeah, I wanted to ask you, so you cut the musical down, or like, yeah, you cut the size. Down. So the one-man show went yes. from, uh, it was like from 16 songs to 8. Okay. Now, um, So all of the ensemble songs had to go, or if it was a really good number, then I just lose the harmony. Okay. Um, dialogue went from the back and forth where to looking for the best quips that could be tossed in with narration and still punch, which is very, 
uh, it's a very tricky little writing dance. I did a lot of drafts to try to get the narrator part right for the cabaret. I think it's pretty good now, but that was actually, um, so th there's this funny term my wife's camp uses called COVID keepers. So things they learn during COVID that they're keeping as a camp. But uh, I think all of us have COVID keepers. Um, so one of the COVID keepers, I think, is doing lots of small gigs online as a way to practice this and like as a way to to um, polish in a way that's way faster and cheaper than ever existed in theater before. I mean, think about like even for my story, my first workshop was at a conference. It's the only reason why the venue was cheap for me. And I got all volunteer singers. I still dropped $2,000 that night because I paid, you know, for video and sound stuff. Maybe it's 1500 But point is, it was super cheap and still cost me over $1,000 right, yeah. in, in, like, no time. Right? You know, you work theater. Oh, yeah. The second one... Uh, I don't really want to stay on a recording. A pretty big budget, <laughs> yeah. But it was in books, no scenery. But I'll tell you what I did pay for. I paid for a live pianist and a live percussionist. I okay. paid for live sound. I paid for live video. I later paid to have that video chopped up into the beautiful trailer video. Um, now, I'm proud to say that I also got producers, and I also sold a shitload of tickets, so I didn't lose my shirt. But um, I mention all of this. Why? Partially to say, like, it can be done, but it's very tricky um, and very exciting. But there was a lot of moving parts to do that. Oh, I was making the point about how simple it is to workshop now. So, um in my mind, I had a certain idea of what a workshop should and could be. And in, and in essence, I was doing two things at once, workshopping the material and trying to act like a producer, getting interest and resources behind the project. And I did that rather successfully. But um, what I discovered during virtual times, doing this kind of thing, talking about the project and then performing it, um, I could continually refine it much cheaper and much faster. Um, and even if it didn't change the project appreciably, like most of the songs, they're basically fully cooked. I guess theoretically down the road, if there's like a quote real production and someone quibbles with a word here or there, I would be up to change it. But like the songs are basically done. But Every time you perform a song for real, and when I stood up here and sang my heart out with the guitar, like made deep eye contact with that little white dot, you know what I mean, little white dot. Um, I love you, little white dot. I'm sad with you, little white dot. I miss you, little white dot. But like that whole bit I can do with skill because of a lot of practice, you know, oh, yeah. talking to the little white dot. We've talked about Oh yeah. Whether it's us playing music or us doing the podcast, like there is definitely if you listen at like with the show, if you listen to episode one one and then you listen to episode eighty one, there is an 
enormous difference in just from quali- just in like yeah. quality and us talking to each other. That, yeah, that just repetition. so you know, guys, that that I'm honest, I listened to all 81 episodes in their entirety at normal speed this afternoon. Normal speed, Good for you. Um, just to get ready um, without pausing. And yes, the math doesn't work. <laughs> And that was with the music too. Like, I mean, normal, yeah. normal speed. But I did listen to an episode, and I chuckled out loud. I lolled. So good work. <laughs> oh, thank you. I didn't rot raffle, but that's. It'd be weird if you we're, don't. We're still working on it, right? We're yeah. not there yet. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever. I don't think I've ever fallen down laughing for a podcast. I listened to some funny. For a while, there was that short-lived. Um, comedy podcast, Two Dope Queens. That was like a comedy podcast that WNYC had for a while. It was great. And once in a while, they would have a comedian on who made me laugh so hard I would fall over. But that hasn't happened in years. I've had comedians make me like wheeze instead of laughing, but I've never yeah. fallen over. I will fall <laughs> I gotta, over. I got a steady balance. And I really start to laugh. And then I kind of like, ah. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I like to bring the slapstick. So, you know, like right. my sneezes are loud and juicy and okay. stand back, everybody. <laughs> For the record, this, this interview has now gone a full 90, 100 minutes, and I've not sneezed once. Um, once we're done, I will commence sneezing. Same thing happens. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> Um, does the full show, um, like the original version with the ensemble, does that still exist? Yes. Oh, it exists. It's okay. in one of these binders. I have to add labels so I know which one is which. <laughs> okay. Um, it's definitely not that one. That yeah, didn't we... look that big. I've seen a script with an ensemble. It ain't that. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. The full, the full script with the scores in it is rather chunky. Yeah. Zavtig, as the Jews will say. <laughs> um, yeah, thick. Um, that's right. Three C's. In fact, the very, to illustrate the point, um, the very first piece of feedback on the microphone from the audience at that big workshop, it's too long. <laughs> Swear to God. How long, how long and is the full ensemble show? It was like 220. It was a little long. That's not and that long. That's, yeah. No, no, but. But here's the funny thing. Uh-huh. Without missing a beat, I, I leaned into my microphone and I said, sir, please write that on the comment cards. <laughs> <laughs> you know. What else can you say? Like, sorry. Yeah. You said with an intermission? Yeah. Sorry, I'm stuck on this. But, like, I I think every show I've produced is over two hours and 20 minutes. I think, yeah. yeah. I think when there's an intermission, people expect it to ring in over two hours. Yeah. But. Yeah. He wasn't wrong that there were some there were some moments like where I'd basically written along the way and this is part of what happens when you're new at it and you take a long time. The first version that read like a concert, it had basically it was sort of like a cabaret but with a conventional beginning, middle and end narration. And then the second one, I was like, how do I make this into real play? I was like, I need some monologues. Mm -hmm. So I wrote some monologues. I was like, I need some scenes. I wrote some scenes. And, like, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I kept adding songs. And that's how you got to something that might have been a wee bit bloated. 
Um, so I trimmed it down a little bit, but kept most of it. Um, and yes, I'm interested in presenting that again. Um, I do need a, uh, a partner. I'm thinking a college or university might be great or a theater that presents new work. So again, if you're listening and you're involved in theater and you, you do new stuff, please be in touch. I'd love to meet you. Um, but yes, that script is alive and well. It is in a proverbial drawer, but not a locked drawer. Just yeah, waiting. There you go. Waiting for the time and the moment. Did you have the Chicago dates? You said that you were coming out here because I would. I would love to see the. Yeah, we're gonna you you and I or the three of us will be in touch about the Chicago appearance Definitely. and maybe other possibilities with your theater friends out there. Um, but we're looking at um, probably June of twenty four. Okay. Like once, right after my school year ends, mm-hmm. I'm on a prep school schedule, so okay. we're done whenever uh, we want to be. Right. <laughs> Very nice. State regulations, <laughs> schmate regulations. Oh, this be nice. Uh, but yeah, we'll come to Chicago and we'll look you up. Awesome. And um, if you guys are on Instagram at Life Review Musical. The website again is lifereviewmusical.com. All of that will be in the link below yeah, where you're listening exactly. currently. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. And, uh, you know, if you've listened to this entire interview, either they've edited it down brilliantly or you are so freaking patient. Either way, you're a beautiful person, and I thank you for listening. Oh, this has been so entertaining. Oh, this has been a yeah, I, I did this. not know it had been going going this long. <laughs> yeah, I was not paying attention so, to what yeah, time it was. She said. <laughs> That's well, your prize for making it to the end, folks. <laughs> One joke right under the wire. Well, we really appreciate having you on, and we hope we get the chance to talk to you again. Whether it's on yeah, the show or off the show. Yeah, person in Chicago. Absolutely. This was a blast. Um, I got nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. Have, have a great night. Have a great night, everybody.